without doubt, the Acts of the Apostle book is the probably one of the most exciting books uh, you would read in the New Testament. Dr. Luke charts the history of this church from its beginnings uh, with about 120 people tucked away in a room, a little bit confused, a little bit scared, but waiting on the promise of Jesus to come. And it went from that uh, at the beginning, and we saw right the way through till they, they were moving into new towns, new cities, even new continents with the, with the gospel. And it was the Holy Spirit moving through a cast of thousands, not just one or two people, not two, one or two specialists like Paul or Silas, but thousands of people in everyday life uh, living for, for Jesus. And Paul, without doubt, though, was one of the key guys in that early church. And uh, he went on what was known as a number of missionary journeys. He went around planting churches in different places. And on one of those journeys, he traveled to a place called Corinth. And uh, that was a place where he first met Priscilla and Aquila. Um, they were tent makers, just like Paul was, and maybe he met them because he was working with them, but they got saved and came into the family of God, and they became key to his strategy to reach in other cities. They would uproot their business, take that with them to a place like Ephesus, and uh, and start business there and start to gather people to build the church. Not only was Paul there, uh, but Timothy and Silas, we find, came and visited Paul as he spent 18 months uh, in Corinth, uh, planting the church there and growing and teaching it. So you would think with Paul, Silas, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, you would think that Corinth would be the model church. It would be a great church because they had great leaders. But unfortunately, that wasn't quite the case. Of course, Paul moved on. And when he was working in Ephesus, about 180 miles away, he received news that everything wasn't going so well uh, in in Corinth. Uh, he heard that there were divisions. He heard that there were class wars, worship wars, even sexual immorality. Can you believe it? And, you know, if, if the Church of Corinth was a school, Ofsted would have gone in and closed them down for special measures. It was that bad. Uh, but Paul uh, writes to them uh, a couple of letters we've got in the Bible, First and Second uh, Corinthians, but we believe he probably wrote up to four letters to them to try and help them. But Paul is the continual pastor as well as the apostle. And 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11, he puts it like this. It's in the message. I'm reading it. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. And you know, that's where we get our title of a series that we're going through at this minute called Limitless. And... Uh, you know, it would seem that the Corinthian community of faith had become somewhat disillusioned with the Christian life. Uh, have you ever felt like that? Been a little bit disillusioned with it? I know, to be honest, as a pastor, life can get very disillusioning because you feel like you've preached the best message in the world, 
but it doesn't change anybody's life. Well, messages never do, do, Jesus does. But Paul is saying, guys, I don't understand why you are disillusioned about this Christian life. You see, if you live your life on a list of do's and not do's, or ticking off a box that I've attended uh, in person at MKCC, or I've attended online, I came to the prayer meeting online. If all we do is live, if we think that is the sum total of a Christian life, then we probably have missed it somewhere along the line. And uh, if we live that way, we're limiting a limitless God. That, that's the way that we can sometimes live like that. Paul gives us a little clue in those passages I've just read about why the Corinthians ended up being disillusioned. He puts it this way, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. You're restricted by your own affections. He says, in your hearts, you're living for yourself and your own desires in this world for fulfillment, for money, whatever. You're, you're living for what you love in this world, and, and then, but you're not living from the affections of Christ. You know, if, if, you, if you always think, I'm living for that next house, and when I get that next house, I'm going to be fulfilled. And then we're in the house for five minutes, and then we notice everything that's wrong with it. Or maybe you get married, I don't know, and you're looking forward to the day you get married and then the next day after you get married and stay together for five minutes, you're not so sure you should have got married in the first place. And you can sometimes get a bit disillusioned with things, but it's about following the affections of God, not ours. You know what I mean? And the aim of this series that we're doing at the moment is to help connect or reconnect our deepest affections to a limitless God. That's what we're trying to do. Paul was saying, quit holding on to your rights. You, you know, we live in a consumeristic society and it feels like sometimes we live in a consumerist church. If it doesn't quite do what I want it to do, then it's wrong. So we hold on to our rights. We've got to stop idolizing preachers, which was one of the things they were doing. We'll come back to that. We've got to stop arguing over liturgy the style of service. We have to do away with divisions which are all generated by our own affections because it's what I love, maybe not what Christ loves. I was a pastor here uh, a number of years ago. His name was Roy Eccleston. And one of his uh, famous phrases he used to say a lot was, guys, stop tripping up over chalk lines. Uh, and, and he was just trying to say, we get so invested in things that actually aren't, um, aren't massive and we trip over things that aren't in, important. And uh, so through this series, we want to help you to connect to a limitless God, to live a limitless life. And last week, Fuller started that by talking to us about limited or sorry, limitless faith how we place our small bit of faith that we've got and we place it in a limitless God and he will take us to incredible places. Our mustard seed placed in the hands of a limitless God makes all the difference. So here's what uh, Paul said to these Corinthians. I'm going to read now um, from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, this is what he says to them for these people who are a bit disillusioned about everything. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. 
he's saying, guys, it's the love of Christ that controls us, not ourselves, not what we love, but the love of Christ. And why does he say that? Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus has died for all, limitless. There's no limit on that. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for for their sake died and was raised. So that we're controlled by the love of Christ, that so no longer we'll live for our own affections, but we live for Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What, what he's saying is that the people we meet every, every day, we shouldn't just treat them with worldly values and look at them through worldly what we can get out of it. But we, we treat them in the same way that we see Christ. We used to see Christ as worthless, but now we see him as the great peril of greatest price. And what Paul's saying is the people around you, the people in your church, the people you meet in the street, you've got to see them in the same way that you now see Christ. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Anybody that's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God. It's from God. We don't do this ourselves. All this comes from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he he reconciled us to him. And then he said, I've got a plan and a purpose for you to do. And you need to be ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation brings things together. It doesn't divide things. So as as Christians, the old is gone, the new has come, we're a new creation, we've been given a mission, that's to bring reconciliation to the world, not division. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, world to himself, listen, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting their trespasses against them. God is not Trans, uh, counting our trespasses against us so in the same way that God is acting towards us we act towards other people and we don't tot up all the trespasses that they've created against us and in trusting us God has given to us the message of reconciliation of bringing things together therefore we're what? we're ambassadors in this world We're not in heaven at the moment, but we're in this world as ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. He's speaking to the people around us, not by his voice, but by our voice speaking to them. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. Listen, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. You need to let that just settle in for just a second he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain 
Paul is saying to, to the guys, this incredible stuff has happened in your life. God is working with you. You're an ambassador for him. You're a new creation. All this has happened in your life. Don't let this incredible grace that you have been given end up of no worth. Please don't live that way, church. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. And you know, I could spend the rest of our time talking about God's limitless grace. His grace is enough for the whole world. There's no limit to the amount of trespasses he won't count against us. There's no length that God will go to, not go to, in reconciling you to him, making him to be sin who knew no sin. And later in Paul's letter, he sums up limitless grace like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that an incredible statement? Christ becomes poor and we become rich. That is grace in a nutshell. And, and he is saying to these Corinthians believers, he says, guys, I'm appealing to you. You must not receive this incredible grace, this riches that we've got in vain. You know, the grace of God demands change. And at MKCC, we believe it's okay to not be okay. But God's grace doesn't leave us not okay. God's grace starts to change us. Otherwise, it's been in vain. Unlimited grace brings unlimited change. And if we'll tap into God and link to him and understand and believe in his grace, and that, this is what the guys at this church weren't doing. There was quarrels and divisions. They favored one preacher over another. Some guys said that they loved Paul, Paul and another said Apollos, and another said Cephas. And the really spiritual guy said, well, I'm of Jesus. I don't follow man. And uh, Many, many years ago, um, when I was in the church here at uh, MKCC, uh, there was George Ridley was one of the pastors and Roy Eccleston was one of the pastors. And uh, somehow these two guys had following from different people. So some of us would say we were Roy's boys and some of other people would say they were George boys. I'm not going to tell you which one I was. Um, but completely wrong. But it is, it is the cross that saves not wise words. You know, I've got, I read lots and lots and lots. And if you go to my office, there's a few bookshelves there. And there is at least one or two shelves of books that I have purposely put there of men and women that I have liked and listened to and read who have helped me, but somewhere along the journey have gone wrong and failed and got, got it miserably wrong. And I've purposely taken them out and put them into a shelf, and it's on two shelves now, to remind myself that, Billy, anybody can fall. It doesn't matter if you're a famous preacher or something. The, the, God's grace can, should not be in vain. Sexual immorality was in the church. I won't go into that too much, but there's a suggestion that possibly it was tolerated because it was one of the important givers in the church that was given money, so they let it slip. I don't know if that is true. Lawsuits between believers. And this is what Paul says to the, about that. He said, 1, 1 Corinthians 6, why not suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? <laughs> now, that doesn't work with us nowadays, does it? I mean, if we're right, we want to go through the courts. We want to find, get it all out. On the, he's going, be wrong. Be defrauded. I mean, this is a crazy message, isn't it? It's not 
one that sits with our 21st century sort of standing. They were prescriptive around marriage. And, and uh, all he wanted to point out there is that grace serves one another. It doesn't look to be helped or pleased or loved, but it serves and loves one another. They were arguing over food to eat. One group said that um, Nigerian jollof rice was the best, and the other group said that Ghanaian jollof rice was the best. No, no, they didn't really. It was about food sacrificed to, to idols. But what, what he's saying is, don't create a problem with, with other people. You know what I mean? If you're with, out to eat with somebody and that you know that they don't think you should drink alcohol, uh, then don't drink it. Not because it's wrong, just because you want the other part to, to serve and love the other person. They were not being gracious in their giving. Um, and they were creating problems in the church because they weren't looking after the pastors and things like that. We need to continue, as Paul puts it, in the grace of giving. They were champions of their rights, and grace chooses to give up our rights to serve other people. Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. See, he's, he's more worried about serving people to get them to come to Christ than anything else. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you'll find that communion, well, that was just an unmitigated disaster. Uh, it was just horrible to watch. And I can remember a church I was once in, and uh, they, they used to do communion where there was three columns of people and some people used to go forward to the front and then they would take the bread and wine and then they would come back and they would serve everybody in that sort of column and I, I used to watch one guy who went out to do it to serve the, the, the wine and the bread and he would look round almost checking which row somebody was in or which column and he would move across to the other column because he didn't want to serve the person he'd fallen out with with the bread that's the sort of crazy stuff that was going on in communion in the Corinthians church. And he's saying, you need grace. Liturgy was a war. I mean, I've lived through, I think, many, many worship wars about how worship should be done. But grace says every member is important. It's not, a, it's all, all gifts are valuable. And we have to stop fighting about things that are not the huge, biggest thing in the world. You know, in, uh, when I was a kid, we used to fight to get the, the, the hymn book thrown out so we could sing some of the new choruses. And now I would like to fight to get the hymn book back in so we could. But, you know, worship is about our heart. And I, and I found me in churches where it's just been no music, but I felt the presence of God. I've been in stadiums where music's been playing and I've felt the presence of God. Worship really, at the end of the day, is that we want to serve other people and it's not important what I like, it's how we serve the people around about us. You know, the, the thing I like about Paul in this passage, just as I close in 2 Corinthians, he bookends the whole book in grace. Right at the very start, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, grace to you and peace be from our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And then right at the end, the last verse in 2 Corinthians, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He starts with grace, he ends with grace. And in our lives, we do not want our lives to show that God's grace is in vain. We want to live a limitless life 
filled with limitless grace from a limitless God. Amen.